I V M. Hey, Raghavi. So now we have, you know, World Environment Day is coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to just get a quick. Uh, what do you do for sustainability? Like, what's the things that you do for, you know, yourself and for the environment? Oh, uh, just basic stuff. I don't. I try not to buy fast fashion. Mm. Like, I try to buy mostly thrifted stuff. Mm. Uh, I use, you know, reusable water bottles. Yeah. Oh, and. You know, bamboo products generally, toothbrushes huh. especially, are pretty cool. I quite like those ones. So, the problem with using things which are sustainable mm-hmm. is that they're also organic. I also got very caught up in this whole bamboo stuff, uh, and I got a bamboo toothbrush. Okay. And I got like a big set. Okay, because I was like, yeah, I'm going to oh, use like the set of four. Yeah, like I'm going to use this for six months and then I'll use the next one because that's. Okay. I mean, that's good for my oral hygiene and things like that. Oh. Unfortunately. I don't know where I kept it, and because the bamboo toothbrush is made of bamboo and is oh, organic, no. after six months when I decided to open, it was just covered in fungus. Ah, I hate this. Oof. I hate this story. Uh, can we just get to the song? Play the song. Moral, moral of the story is: plan your sustainability initiatives, please. Have you ever wondered why women don't do more crime? Well, we're here to tell you. There's misconduct all the time. Women are thieves and murderers. That's gross misconduct. Con artists, money launderers. Mm, criminal misconduct. Financial fraud that's hard to track. Take some planning, but still misconduct. Even breaching a contract. Um, that's more civil though. It's misconduct. It's misconduct. Tell you all about women that suck. Things that make you say, what the? It's misconduct. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to Misconduct. We are a podcast that talks about Indian women that have committed crimes. But sometimes we talk about women that may not be Indian technically, but they're Indian at heart. And they love this country in a way that you and I probably can't really comprehend because we're not freedom fighters, I guess. Um, anyway, I am Raghvi. And I am Nisha. And it's not yet evident, but we will be fangirling a little bit in this episode because today the episode is about Sarla Ben. So Sarla, who was born as Catherine Mary Hillman, mm-hmm. was an English woman who lived through the Indian independence movement and fought for the country's freedom in her own right. Mm-hmm. Influenced heavily by the work of Mahatma Gandhi, Sarla came to India in 1932 and just never went back. Yeah. In 1942, when Gandhi started the Quit India movement, Sarla launched an extension of the non-violent movement in her uh, newly established home in the hills, which is like the Kumaon district of Uttarakhand. Mm-hmm. So her rallying cry brought so many men and women from the hills together that the opposing British forces just put her in jail to like Shh, keep quiet, lady. Yeah. <laughs> Most importantly, we thought it was important to talk about her today because this week is where the entire planet celebrates World Environment Day. Wait, what? How's that related? So one additional fun fact about mm-hmm. Sarla Ben that's something that she was known for it is called the Chipko movement mm-hmm. so although technically a criminal in the eyes of the British Raj mm-hmm. since she followed Gandhi so closely and she used his principles to rally the people of the hills Sarla is one of the is known as one of India's earliest environmentalists yep. So her work in environmentalism includes organizing women to protect forest growth, mm-hmm. establishing small-scale forest industries that would not stress the forest's natural resources, yep. 
and most importantly leading the chipko movement which means to hug <laughs> very uvu it is uvu <laughs> so in the 1970s uh, sarla ban organized thousands of supporters and volunteers in the forest of uttarakhand to come together and just hug a tree <laughs> yeah and I, i i'm assuming these people are not uh, eked out when like a bug crawls on you or something like that and like i feel like if i was part of the movement i'd be like eh, butterfly bye i'm if going you, i am leaving if you yeah oh for those who don't know nisha is deadly scared of butterflies moths just anything that cocoons out into it's, it's lepidopterophobia look oh. it up <laughs> oh i God. will will actually <laughs> i really want to say psychological reasons behind this but yeah in I any case it. hug a tree uh, don't hug a tree if you don't like butterflies yes correct exactly that <laughs> <laughs> so the physical human presence against these trees would ensure that laborers could not cut down the trees because oh, okay. not everyone is that cruel yes so mm. sarla organizes specifically to prevent excessive lumbering and tapping of resin from the pine trees mm-hmm. uh, she also set up this ashram at kasoli in the kamon hills of uh, uttarakhand right. she went from village to village helping the families of political prisoners especially women who were impacted by this mm-hmm. in her later years she even authored a book Uh, which was called reviving our dying planet so the thing is um mm. sala essentially at least what we know now she essentially mm. started what we call the eco feminist movement mm. so women were really disproportionately impacted by excessive felling of forests mm-hmm. um at the time especially because this was the 60s and 70s women had taken on more traditional roles at the time right compared to today especially you know where in those forest based economies agricultural based economies those sorts of things mm. that basically meant that if there was any loss of tree cover um loss of food options within the forests irrigation issues you know lack of access to drinking water fodder firewood there are loads of problems that are associated with this all of these are problems that women face on a day to day basis because they depend on the forests immediately to be able to get these resources in times you know before sarla as well as even after the idea of protesting for the sake of the earth sometimes mm. was a crime sometimes was looked at you know sort of like why are you doing this capitalism is the best yeah. um and uh, even during the chipko movement in india many mm. many protesters were physically taken away from the side of the protest and put into jail just so they wouldn't be killed during the protest um and today we live in a world also where something like this might just be branded as ecoterrorism yep. so in fact actually we live in a world where a lot of people might not be able to access these forests to begin with even if you grew up on that land you were born on that land and the forest was rightfully yours to exploit hmm. as your families have done for centuries in a sustainable and wasteless fashion hmm. so even if sarla technically wasn't a criminal back in the day you mean besides the freedom struggle stuff oh yeah the freedom struggle stuff is just different uh, that's what we'll actually cover in this yeah. episode uh, but when it comes to the you know the eco Yeah. Part of all of this, um, if she wasn't a criminal then, she would likely be a criminal today. Unfortunately. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the episode, our usual warnings: podcast mm-hmm. is not suitable for children, and listener discretion is advised. Okay, so I'm going to start with the woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, before she was Sarla Ben, she was Catherine Mary Hellman. Mm-hmm. Catherine was born on 5th April 1901 in West London. Aries mm-hmm. buddies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her father was a German Swiss, mm-hmm. and her mother was English. Mm-hmm. Catherine was named after her German grandmother. Right. When her mother passed away at a young age, Catherine would live for large chunks of the year with her grandmother, who she loved and she admired. Hmm. Catherine also had a younger brother, Alfred. Her memories and first-hand accounts of her life say that she was more of the rebellious child between the two. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how much you guys know about early 1900s England. 
but at the very least they were extremely racist oh <laughs> yeah i also thought that only i didn't really go anywhere else with that thought yes <laughs> yes so for one britain continued to enslave large populations of the world something that would only slowly start to unravel as these populations gained like internal political support and right. in in some cases they became more violent movements i get it <laughs> uh another thing was britain was kind of in a weird warish situation with most of europe mm-hmm. a political ticking time bomb would soon detonate by 1914 resulting right. in the first world war we've all learned that in history aha do you remember the name of the oh. dude who was assassinated archduke immediately... francis ferdinand oh of 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 <laughs> of where of that place <laughs> <laughs> i think it's austria austria i think it's austria one of those <laughs> was it austria hungary at the time Russia uh, Russia was <laughs> way whatever. before that wow cbsc history really <laughs> did us bad huh Oops. Uh, <laughs> so i mean to be european at this time mm-hmm. living in britain uh, it's essentially oh. like a one way ticket to discrimination station <laughs> oh my god i don't want to get off on that station <laughs> so uh, catherine's half german heritage left her with a very black mark unfortunately mm. uh, her father was ostracized by the community at times and catherine herself was denied scholarships to the schools that she wanted to go however she didn't let this stuff get to her in her mm-hmm. memoir uh, catherine says that she still had an open mind with regards to her nationality identity language and appreciated that her parents came from diverse nationalities Oh damn that's pretty cool right if i For was that person, i would just become an x men or something <laughs> just like for <laughs> suppressed my feelings so hard i would just become wings <laughs> oh god my lepidopterophobia is kicking in <laughs> oh, i'm so sorry <laughs> Um so as we mentioned earlier Catherine's mom passed away at a young age and her grandmother stepped in to handle the household. Mm-hmm. Her father although well read and accomplished was not really able to hold a job. Oh yeah if you didn't get that for reference please look up the word racism. Yes it's right next to the British empire. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you see that now because uh, you know they made their own bets. Yeah. Yeah. Lion it. <laughs> and Catherine's grandmother's finances helped them actually quite a bit through mm-hmm. this time so mm-hmm. in fact in her memoirs uh Catherine said that her grandmother taught her a lot about self sufficiency as a woman mm-hmm. and to that i say go grandma yeah that's amazing <laughs> i also feel like i learned a lot about self sufficiency from my grandparents from my grandma oh, both yeah? of them specifically yeah one of them was the first lady who worked in a bank in madurai oh. and the other one is a masters in physics for her time and she was a physics teacher so Damn. it's very cool yeah i learned it from my mom mostly mm-hmm. but also tina fey so ah yeah okay <laughs> yeah so it was at this time that in her life when she was with her grandma she essentially came down to two specific streams of thought mm-hmm. one was that women should be able to stand on their own feet and if they can't they should be taught how to do that all right and mm-hmm. the second is that the racial divides are irrelevant if we can all mm-hmm. aim to live harmoniously as the human race oh my god yes. that was some model mun level i know model mun no no model One. model united nations model model united nations <laughs> that's right it's the model united nations where only like bella hadid and gigi hadid <laughs> go ahead <laughs> so all that stuff that she was going through she's thinking about hmm. that stuff seems pretty obvious now right yeah. like don't be terrible to people <laughs> um but this is the early 1900s and being hmm. terrible was um, effectively cool. uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it really was. Also, I think in some way, uh, trademarked by the British. <laughs> uh, so this kind of thinking. Oh, we're doing that this year. This entire episode, <laughs> just this. So this kind of thinking, especially like you know the idea of emancipation of women and treating all humans as one. Hmm. That's a very progressive thinking. Agreed. Yo. Agreed. No, seriously, because like in the last set of laws that allowed women to vote without any restriction in the UK, hmm. they passed in 1928. That's not too far away. Yeah, and um, the discrimination of people based on color and race that was only barred in 1965. That's so jarring. Right? Yeah, it was right here. Yeah, I mean, I know I say 2020 was 200 years ago, <laughs> but 1965, 1965 is closer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we think all this stuff happened way in the past, but it was less than a century ago. Yeah. In any case, Catherine at this time she did manage to finish school, mm. um, and. Uh, she, The one thing that really irked her and really hurt her as well was the fact that she couldn't score a scholarship to study any further. Hmm. And this, like, it's really terrible to hear this, but this is what her school's headmistress told her at the time. All right, hmm. she said, "Listen, Catherine, it's been decided that as your family are on the enemy's side, you cannot receive a scholarship. The decision is also the right one, for as you are not helping in the war effort, you can give more time to study and therefore have a much better chance of winning than those girls who are active." in the war effort. Oh, I think something we forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. Catherine's family were pacifists. Right. They believe that it's never right to take part in the war even if it's in self-defense. Yeah, and of course add the fact that her dad was not technically British yeah. by birth, so that mm. did not help as well. So by the time the mid, you know, 1920s rolled around, mm. Catherine, although she was eager to learn and grow, she wasn't given that option. Yeah. So at the age of 16, she started working as an office clerk, which was mm. really the only job she could get with her education. Mm. And the fact that she was basically branded an enemy. Right? Yeah. Um it also didn't help that Catherine has sort of grown like disillusioned with this ridiculously insane industrial growth within Britain and Europe mm. as well. I mean I have conflicting thoughts with uh, Catherine but I get it mm. for its time. Uh even in her memoir she wrote like coming into close contact with factories I only became even more disturbed mm-hmm. seeing the unnatural environment of the factory the deafening noise the people made slaves by the sheer spread of machines I suffered a lot. The thought came to me that when I make use of the items produced in these factories in a way I too am part of this inhuman process. Was it for all of this that humanity exists? Oh yeah. Um also I think just to be on the safe side guys uh Catherine lived in a time when labor laws didn't exist. Yeah, so I kind of understand. It's a little different today. We can't mm. just let people die in factories. Also, eleven-year-olds are not, you know. Yes, <laughs> most importantly. Yeah. So, uh, think about it from that time when you were, if you were a child and you were asked to work in a factory, and at this age you look at it, you're obviously going to be really disillusioned by it. Mm. So. Catherine also wrote in her diary at this time about how she dreamed of living a very peaceful life in the countryside and making her life one of self-sufficiency. And that's how it was until <laughs> oh no tragedy struck so What? after the first world war Catherine lost her grandma mm. this personal loss kind of threw her into despair and in the mid 20s after an elaborate argument with her father she just left home and ran away this was around the time that she decided to work at her clerk position mm-hmm. now this position which she hated by the way mm-hmm. uh, she did find one good thing she met a handful of students who had come from India to study in Britain So she participated in active political and sociological debates with them and they Sweet. introduced her to the various forms that the uh, Indian independence struggle was taking. Mm-hmm. So from like pacifist to extremist to Gandhian mm-hmm. and she was sort of intrigued by this. So at this time she wrote in her diary, mm-hmm. imperialism and colonialism were presented to me in a new light. In our history books, Indians were always referred to within the context of 
the white man's burden. Now though, I begin to understand that we were in India not for the benefit of the people there, but for their exploitation. And that having destroyed their culture, we now sought to impose our own. Ew. I mean, I love the way it's put across. Also, who writes like this in yeah. their diary? Dude? <laughs> like I opened my diary, it's like, Dear diary, today my sister wore my favorite jeans. <laughs> I'm so angry at her. I actually remember when we were really young and Nisha gifted me a little notebook of sorts. It had a little lock on it. Um, yeah. As a diary, yeah. I had one The too. lock was pretty useless. You could probably buy it off with your teeth, okay? It was pretty dumb. Or you could just tear the paper off of the book and the lock would just come off. In any case, I never used it. It's still there in my box of curiosos oh. along with this letter that Nisha wrote. Which started with, Hey, what is up yes. in a letter? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Like I was expecting you to reply. <laughs> like yeah. I'm the explorer. In this snail mail. They didn't even send my mail. You sent it with your mum to my house. Yes, like, correct. I don't have an address to respond to now. <laughs> oh, but back to but, her. Yes, wow, to okay. Sarla Ben. Uh, I'm glad she had this kind of realization way back then. Mm, that's true. Uh, and like, you know that she was in, like so clear about this philosophy of, mm-hmm. oh, we're the bad guys. Right. And am she I was the correct. villain? I'm not the villain. Maybe I am. <laughs> but yeah, uh, in particular, the Gandhian principles of non-violence and self-sufficiency really appealed to her. Right. So she is quoted as saying, for the first time in my life, I was exposed to the ideas that resonated within me. Mm. So things happened very quickly after this. By 1929, she had assured herself that the Gandhian principles just were the way to go. Right. By 1930, she heard accounts of Gandhi leading the Dandi March against the salt tax mm. in India. Mm-hmm. In 1931, one of her friends from her job who had moved back to India Mm -hmm. asked her to come down to help with teaching some of the local school children in the city of Udaipur in Rajasthan. Nice. Later that year, Catherine picked up several courses on child education. Mm -hmm. Gandhi was also in London for the roundtable conference that year, but she couldn't meet him. Mm. But it was no matter to her because she told herself that she would meet him in India. Nice. And in 1932, she was in Sweet. This is one of those episodes where we got to know a lot about the woman beforehand. Yeah. Especially what fueled her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I was writing for this, I remembered Durga Bhavi and the fact that we don't know much about her early life. Yeah. We just know that she was radicalized casually by her husband and Bhagat Singh. <laughs> but why? How? What yeah. did she think through all of that? But we have that here, I guess. It's nice to be a white woman. Oh. <laughs> I mean, people want to know about your story. Okay, people just don't want to know. About people of color and their stories. It sucks. But I think we should take a break before we get cancelled. Fine. <laughs> Whatever, man. Fine. Let's take a break. We'll see you guys after this. Welcome back after the break, everyone. Let's now look at Catherine's life in India and... Uh, well, how she became Sarla Ben and how she got all caught up in the Indian independence struggle. Hmm. So in India, Catherine worked for f- almost four and a half years at Vidya Bhavan. It's hmm. this progressive school in Udaipur. And it was sort of founded on the idea of social reconstruction through education. Okay. Which you, you hear is fancy because it was. Ah. Uh, because over time, she sort of realized that the school catered only to upper middle class Indians and not like folks that she thought needed true upliftment. Hmm. Um, she also couldn't participate in Gandhi's own programs because she was in the school. Hmm. And she felt like her purpose in India was isn't really like being met. Mm. But you know, because she was a little frustrated during her free time, she used to work for quite a few women's causes, especially those in communities that, you know, not just needed money and jobs, but also education and access to basic things like water and hygiene. Mm. So 
also this sometime in Udaipur when she was around she changed her name to Sarla yeah. and she was formally referred to as Sarla Ben at this time hmm. uh, Sarla also eventually did meet Gandhi oh. now we won't focus too much on this mostly because dude like people have very polarizing opinions about Gandhi which is fair I mean he is a political figure as well and he said and done things that agree with some people and don't agree with others so that's it's okay wow you can't be mad at us now everyone <laughs> We were very diplomatic about it. Ha ha ha. You wanted to rage. That didn't happen. Um, in any case, Sela Ben did meet Gandhi in 1936. Mm-hmm. And then she stayed at his ashram for about five years. And mm. she sort of helped him put together many aspects of his non-cooperation and non-violent movements. Mm. Remember that she was particularly well-versed in political sciences yeah. because of her early years especially. Mm. Um, in 1941 though, Gandhi sort of inspired her to move to another place and start her own form of seva mm-hmm. something that she could build on her own and this is when Sarla moved to Kumaon mm. in Uttarakhand and she recalls specifically thinking at this time it felt like i was renouncing the world to go and live in the forest mm. and in a way she did so Sarla Ben spent a year there learning like local languages figuring out walking routes getting herself accustomed to the mountain air right that's so uh, while sarla ben was in kumaon she started working towards the upliftment of the local women mm-hmm. uh, one way she did this was by realizing the potential for hand spun wool mm-hmm. similar to gandhi spinning of khadi as mm-hmm. a form of local trade right so tibetan wool just made more sense than khadi because of the weather and oh, the right. access mm-hmm. to raw materials mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she also noted a discrepancy in the amount of work that women did towards agriculture versus men right Sure, men are doing the plowing and you know manage the irrigation of the fields, but the women did practically all agricultural operations. You know, working in their fields and their forests mm-hmm. in sun, rain and frost, weeding, harvesting, carrying heavy loads of fuel, fodder, litter from basically early dawn to falling dusk Yikes. to sustain their family. <laughs> yeah. So this she was less sure about. How do you rewire generations of customs? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of us haven't thought of that, right? For so many other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you know, she wasn't actually Indian. Right. So with her like German, Swiss, English heritage, <laughs> she was very, very evidently Caucasian. She was basically a slice of cheese there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very unlikely that the local population would trust her. Mm-hmm. But all that would change with the Quit India movement. Yay, we're at the crimes part. Yes. But mm. but crimes in a very specific sense. Mm-hmm. And that is that the British forces did not like her. Boo! <laughs> well, it's I don't like, like you, British like, forces. <laughs> I bet they're like, oh my God, we didn't like you in our country. We don't like you here also. <laughs> yeah. Where did she get to go? Australia, I guess. That's where they <laughs> Wait, all went. Isn't that a British prison? Yeah, that's exactly what I said. Ah, I see. <laughs> so on 8th August 1942, the All India Congress Committee launched the Quit India Movement, which resolved to get the British out of India as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time that the nation sort of came together to sort of agree on something regarding the freedom struggle. Right. Uh, although there will still be factions within the freedom fighters, it's it would be pretty clear that the goal was common. Yeah, get the Brits out. Simon, go back. <laughs> Leave. Pora. <laughs> so the British response to the Quit India movement was swift. The Indians involved 
attacked 550 post offices 250 railway stations damaged mm. many rail lines destroyed 70 police stations and burned or damaged 85 other government buildings there were about 2500 instances of telegraph wires being cut mm-hmm. uh, the government of india deployed 57 battalions of british troops to restore order oh god within 6 weeks the police and the british army crushed the rebellion oh man Yeah, and many nationalist leaders were imprisoned for the duration. Mm-hmm. Sarla, of course, was one of the leaders. Oh yes, so Sarla, as you remember, was actually a pacifist, mm-hmm. right? So involving herself in any form of protest or war would have technically been against her principles. Yeah. However, as the Queer India movement picked up, she decided she wanted to participate as well. Hmm. Except Gandhi didn't want her to initially. So he specifically did not want foreigners to be political supporters for India. Hmm. And this irked Sarla Ben quite a bit. I get where he was coming from because yeah. it is primarily an Indian movement, right? Also, you just have, from like optics, you know. Yeah, exactly. From a PR standpoint, are you even going to say that? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, from a legal standpoint, it sounds like crazy ass discrimination to me. <laughs> so, uh, like, yeah, when guys didn't want her to do this, she it sort of irked her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time the you know the movement reached the hills, Sarla had to really quickly choose because the movement was very very quick. Yeah. Um, it was either agree with Gandhi and you know just do not engage or support the movement, mm-hmm. or rely on her self respect to disobey Gandhi and do what she needed to do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately something happened that had sort of made the decision for her. Mm. So on 2nd September 1942, 15 workers of her ashram were arrested and their properties were confiscated and their ashram was sealed. Mm. So they were arrested and actually tried on false charges for an arson attack on a government resin depot okay. in Tota Shilling. Mm. Now the British Revenue Office apparently sort of orchestrated the whole scam. Mm. So that's what we mean when we say that they were false charges. Yeah. The district judge imposed Fines on those arrested, mm. and came up to a total of thirty thousand rupees, which mm. is a hella yeah lot of money today, also, man. Yeah, I um, agree. And this is also seven times the annual rent of that entire area. Whoa. Yeah. Plus the workers, they were imprisoned without a specific date of release. Yeah, and so, this yeah. sufficiently pissed off Sarla Ben, and we get it. Yeah, I right? mean. I I'm mad right now yeah. and I wrote this episode <laughs> like I know I was going to say this <laughs> so as a form of protest she prepared a petition against these actions and mm-hmm. collected one anna from each of the families in the area and set out to see the english commissioner nenital mm-hmm. she was of course granted permission to see the commissioner cuz she white but she stood in front of him and said i have come with the humble request that mm-hmm. justice be done for the sake of humanity mm-hmm. for those who are innocent so that future history does not stigmatize the english for doing this injustice to people mm. i have to say brave attempt but girl <laughs> yeah little uh, the scale <laughs> is a little this march is a commission to like small thing is not going to fix it but she's trying she's trying mm. she's right sure So the commissioner heard this and apparently expected her to beg and be pathetic about the whole situation. Mm. Instead, what he received was adiga prasangitanam. Yay! Or audacity. I love that. <laughs> uh, her words pissed off the commissioner so much mm-hmm. that he ordered all the members of the ashram just be jailed for her insubordination. What? Yeah, I remember that this is the time that with, when any words were against the British Empire, they were all considered blasphemous. Oh, that's right. Actually, yes. So the English had passed sedition laws that, yeah. by the way, are still in use by the Indian government. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, they were aimed at suppressing any form of dissent. The original law even uses the words "exciting disaffection against the government." Disaffection. 
Like if I walked up to the commissioner and I said, "Girl, you're bad," he could have had me jailed. Even though I mean, it's not anything specific. It's just like, "Girl, you suck," and then I would be in jail. You know. Yeah, he could have said that to Sarla Ben. I mean, he could have had Sarla Ben jailed as well. Yeah, because she walked up to him and basically like tooped on his face. Right? <laughs> um, oh, also, quick fun fact: mm-hmm. uh, censorship in the British era was pretty common too. There are some ten legislation specifically aimed at censoring the press. Mm. These included the Vernacular Press Act, the Censorship of Press Act, the Metcalf Act, the Indian Press Act, the Licensing Regulations, the Registration Act, and so many more. Mm. Not to mention like ad hoc decisions to stifle the press, like oh no, I accidentally tripped and burnt down an entire <laughs> printing press of this local newspaper. Whoops! I'm so clumsy, guys. Oh, I'm just a baby. <laughs> <laughs> just a baby. <laughs> so the yes. problem was, um, how are the British supposed to handle a woman who is one of their own, mm. a British woman, and also opposed? Their government—it's a little confusing for them. Remember how in our Durga Babi episode we said the British didn't understand how to deal with women because they didn't realize that yeah. they could do things. Hmm. Like they were like, "Oh my gosh, she stepped out of her house." Now it's just another layer, right? This is yeah. a well-spoken, well-read English woman who is like, "Hey, stop it!" <laughs> and they're just like, "What me? Me? What?" So the thing is, the thing is, there are loads of supporters of the Indian independence struggle. And some mm. of these sympathizers were British themselves. Yeah, but their nationality meant that you kind of couldn't use the same laws in India to punish them. Ah, uh-huh. because a lot of these laws were made with discrimination in mind. Ah, uh-huh. um, I wonder how that works. It's great, just great. <laughs> so the thing is, when you are trying to prove any of these against an actual British person, the onus of proof becomes much much higher, and you know, the police might actually have to. Follow procedure. Kiss up it. Oh no, it's so hard. <laughs> and um, on one such occasion, the commission apparently just out of spite wanted to have Sarla arrested, hmm. uh, but he couldn't procure a search warrant for her home. If this was not one of you know the British folks, yeah, they would have just burst into that house, burned the thing down, and said like Nisha said, "Oops, I slipped and fell." You Oops, know, I did it again. Yeah. I disappeared again, <laughs> and uh, this sort of gave Sarla some time, you know, to think about. How she wanted to use her influence to help the British, nice. because she realized she had that time yeah. on her hand. So over the next few weeks, Sarla would basically use her knowledge of the court system and her command over English mm. to attend the political trials of many of the men and women that were arrested in the hills yeah. during the Quit India movement. Mm. She's actually on record as having saved at least two men from death sentences. Oh. She also campaigned to have the fines of prisoners reduced as much as possible. Mm. She also traveled along, you know, the narrow passageways of forests to reach. All these towns where she could hire lawyers. Mm. She also travelled to meet prisoners in jails in Bareilly and Lucknow and Agra, all in Uttar Pradesh, um, mm. which are hundreds of miles from her home, just to bring you know news of them back to their families and to their lawyers. Wow! And she also this wasn't easy for her to do. She still right. had to avoid certain kinds of easier form of travel like buses and trains. She couldn't mm. take those because she knew the British forces would find her. They would intercept her, mm. and if they found one document on her. To prove that she was an Indian sympathizer, she would be sent to jail too. Except that the Brits didn't want to wait for all of that. Mm. Uh, after a point, they just preemptively decided that Sarla Ben was just too much trouble for her own good. Oh yeah. And they put her under house arrest at her home in Kasoni mm-hmm. for allegedly helping native political revolutionaries. Mm. To this, uh, Sarla Ben said, 
you can't tell me what to do no <laughs> Uh, and she just walked right out of her house not even in like disguise or anything she just like bah so she left and she was continuing to do her work for the prisoners mm-hmm. to add insult to injury also like as a form of civil disobedience mm-hmm. sarla would go down to the district magistrate's <laughs> office every time that she left her house she would literally pop down there and be like lol i'm outside <laughs> Like that annoying cat that you thought was locked up inside the house. Yeah. Like, what do you? How did you get out again? How? <laughs> A few weeks later, surprise, surprise, she was arrested. Oh, <laughs> uh, she was on her way to Allahabad to appeal the High Court for arresting certain prisoners. Mm-hmm. So, for her arrest, a trial was held. Mm-hmm. She was sent to jail for three months, and as soon as she came out, she started doing it again. <laughs> and she was placed in house arrest again. Oh, <laughs> and then she would get out again, and then get arrested again, and go to jail again. So the story just like repeated itself for a while. It's like Dormammu, I've come to bargain. <laughs> like for two years, like she ended up spending two years in prison. Oh damn! So one cute story we heard was about how a witness saw her like climbing up a tree to avoid being spotted by the British. Just like picture the scenario. It's a small woman. Clad in a sari, just like oh my god, someone's coming, jumping up into a tree <laughs> at the sight of any army man. I think it's kind of hilarious. That's true. Oh my god, that's really cute, though. Indeed, mm. indeed. In 1947, of course, India received independence. Mm-hmm. But till that point, there were thousands of Indians wrongfully imprisoned for their contributions to the Quit India movement and other movements that followed it. Mm-hmm. So while Sarla never aligned herself with more extremist versions of our revolution, yeah, we had Durga uh, Bhavi for that. Yes, yes, we did. She did do what she could for the community that she swore to protect. Mm-hmm. And even though these antics were kind of insane and funny, the commissioner termed her as the most dangerous person in the district. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to close this section by quoting from an article by Bidisha Malik in mm-hmm. a French journal whose name. We cannot pronounce. I tried. I can do the accent, but I got a lot of flack from the Genzi <laughs> Valuar episode. To all of the haters who did not like my accent, please stay. <laughs> yeah, please don't leave us. Don't leave us. <laughs> um, so, so this basically, uh, Bidisha Malik. She wrote an article titled "Sarla Bain, the Silent Crusader," mm-hmm. in which she says, "Like a true missionary, Sarla traveled from village to village." consoling distraught families of those incarcerated who were left high and dry without any resource or means of survival organizing help of all sorts such as bringing messages to family members from their loved ones in jail arranging to send their children to school caring for the sick and the disabled and providing food and ration such as rice and wheat which she often carried herself as headloads wow that's so yeah. sweet Yeah. On that note, I think we should take a break because uh, IVM has some amazing samosas which I've been eating <laughs> while Raghavi was talking and I would like 5 minutes to finish it. <laughs> so let's come back after the break. Welcome back everyone. The section that we did before the break sort of concludes the crime portion of Sarla mm-hmm. Bain's life. Now let's look at the other stuff, which could also make her a criminal today. I don't know. We'll find out. So the Chipko movement. Now yeah. the Chipko movement has its roots in a very, very dark past. This is a pretty rough story, guys. So trigger warning. In September 1730, yes, you heard me right. 1730. Yeah. 363 Bishnois, which is actually a Hindu community that's found in North India, mm. they were killed in the village of Kejarli. So they were trying to protect the felling of their forest, which was to be cut down by the Maharaja of Marwar mm. for building his new palace. 
The Maharaja's minister who arrived at the village, he found that the men and women of the village had stuck themselves to the trees, mm. almost hugging them with their entire bodies. And he ordered that the villagers be killed and hundreds <sighs> died in the clash. So due to the sacrifice, the Maharaja eventually agreed not to fell the trees. But dude, the damage is done. Yeah, that just feels like... At least, I mean, now you might as well build your uh, land on the, whatever, your palace over there. Now that yeah. you've destroyed everything. Everything, right? And it's just... And have the ghosts haunt your Aranmane. For a house. Yeah. yeah. It's for a damn house. That's how you get a haunted house. Yes. And the Shivku movement, by the way, in India, it came under many leaders. And mm. Sarla Ben was one of them leading it. Mm. It also emerged sort of from Sarla's own philosophies of self-sufficiency. Hmm. Because the land is what allowed them to be self-sufficient. Right. If the trees didn't exist, if the land didn't exist for them, then, you know, they didn't have a livelihood. Yeah. Um, and women led this movement primarily hmm. through various protests. The most famous one, of course, was the characteristic tree hugging. Hmm. There are other forms of protests which include fasting and also booby trapping the forest. Nice. Which feels very Indiana Jones. Of them. <laughs> My personal favorite though is these women just stole the tools of the loggers. Like they were like, ah, oh, where's my saw? <laughs> Bye. I saw it last in the river. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, the Shivku woman became, like it gained a lot of media traction especially. Hmm. So you know, what happened in 1730, the government can't do that again. There are people watching now. There are yep. laws. You know, you can't just kill people like that. Mm-hmm. So it became really hard for the government to use any form of, you know, violent sort of oppression against these people. Hmm. Also remember when we said earlier that Salah did not know how to bring the women of the hills together. Yeah. She kind of achieved that now. It Mm. took many, many years, but she got there. She got there. That's what's important. Yeah. And I think what's important here is also how Salah Ben, like, though an English woman herself, she wasn't one of those people who tried to bring modernity to India. You know, she wasn't like aggressive about the whole, why don't you just go to a city or join a factory? You know, Mm. that wasn't where she came from. The idea of English feminism, especially around this time was very different from the Indian version. Yeah. Because the circumstances are different, Of right? course. I yeah. mean, sure, I, I don't want to, you know, trivialize anything. Women across the world are disadvantaged and disenfranchised. Yeah. And this, that is a universal truth, right? Mm. But the type of disenfranchisement would be very, very different yeah. from different women from different communities. Mm. Which is why it's also important feminism to be intersectional. Right? Yeah. Different women from different backgrounds experience the whole political, economic, personal and social equality of the sexes very, very differently. Yeah. So it's really refreshing to read that Sarla Ben, for all her work, did not bring a westernized sort of notion of feminism to the economically impoverished areas of North India. Mm. Instead, she brought this sort of notion of self-sustenance and reaping from the earth in a more sustainable fashion, which yeah. is more true to the people of that mm. area as well. They wouldn't have had to leave. This is their home. Yeah. So that is what they needed. That's very cool. I like that. But I guess we can start to see traces of that even in her like initial diary inputs, right? Where she's talking about like, this is not going to work. Yeah. Right. The things that they're currently doing is not going to work. So I guess it just, it's nice that she took the time out to understand what the particular land actually needs. Yeah. And then do that. So. Are you saying that a college education and then real life experience can help? Huh, I guess, I guess. But you also have to be open-minded. I mean, I know a lot Fair. of people who have a college life and a real life experience who mm-hmm. still are unable to relate to actual problems. Yeah, I get that. Right? So you have to have that mentality. Which This is literally the plot of Swadish. <laughs> As I said it, I realized it. Yes. Correct. Have you watched that movie, Nisha? I have. I know, because Shah Khan's in it, huh? 
धरमघर इन उत्तराखंड She lived in a small cottage in her last years, and she insisted on being cremated, according to the Hindu rites. Mm-hmm. Today, she is referred to as the daughter of the Himalayas mm-hmm. and the mother of social activism activism in Uttarakhand. Mm-hmm. Her influence is known across the hills, but to a select few. Right. And in 2006, to keep her legacy alive, the government of Uttarakhand announced that it would set up a Sarla Ben Memorial Museum in Kasoni. Mm-hmm. It's uh, temporarily closed today because of the COVID pandemic. Okay, but. listeners if anybody lives in that area and mm. you know when it's open and if you plan to go there please visit and then send us pictures so that yes. we can vicariously live through you yeah. and every year in fact the lakshmi ashram that she spent her last few years in it mm-hmm. commemorates her death anniversary by holding a symposium in her name and mm. in the symposium there is they actually sit and discuss social and environmental issues of the particular area nice so sarla ben's influence is important even if it is largely been forgotten mm-hmm. in fact many textbooks from the indian central board of secondary education that mm. we already have comments on and certain state syllabi like include sarla ben's achievement in the field of environmental activism right we saw references to her in a tamil nadu state english textbook on mm-hmm. the 8th grade mm-hmm. Many many environmentalists today cite her as an important figure for the country's movement against ecological overuse and overdependence mm-hmm. and we can say that with some certainty that her actions if repeated today mm-hmm. would effectively be seen as eco terrorism yeah don't believe us well <laughs> in 2017 india was listed as the fourth deadliest country for environmental activists in a report prepared by global witness mm-hmm. so among the 16 activists killed in the country a considerably large portion were for those protesting mining and logging industries Man. Although this is not an India specific problem right to be of taking away of land and resources from public utilities and aiming to privatize them mm-hmm. so when communities are prevented from using their own local lands in a way that they have through custom for generations you know we might be taking away avenues of sustainable ecological growth yeah again don't believe us <laughs> that's fine you can check out our sources on the blog which we <laughs> hope will provide some clarity yeah and also if you want to debate this out we're yeah. obviously very happy to do that because this is not i mean it is also a podcast for opinions but for stuff like this you know stuff that's scientific yeah this is a podcast for facts yes. we don't everything has sources and if we are wrong Tell us why, and we're happy please. to debate it out with you. Yes, yes, yes. Please do tell us why, and we're very, very happy to take this up on our Instagram and talk to you for hours. <laughs> even if we do take this all with a pinch of salt, and and maybe even all of the salt made during the Dandi March, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> we can also assume that environmentalists like Sarla Ben would be rolling in their graves today, yeah. thinking about the situation that the world is in right now. And I guess there's nothing sadder than that. And that brings us to the end of this episode. It's a sad note to end on, but you know what? We like to leave you guys thinking. This is yeah. not a podcast for giggles only. <laughs> Sometimes we make you think. I'm sorry if that's not what you wanted, but yeah, but still stay. Don't leave. Yeah, us. don't leave. <laughs> uh, also, listen to us on a bunch of other platforms if you'd like. All our yes. old previous episodes are on the IBM Podcast Network, and of course, on any platform you want to watch. Just go listen. 
Yeah, that's all. And not just listen. Tell us what you think. Review mm-hmm. us on Apple Podcasts. Review yep. us on wherever. If there's a random piece of paper somewhere, go review us there also. Yeah, please uh, <laughs> give us stars on Spotify. We accept mm-hmm. nothing less than five. Mm. We will nice accept six like also. <laughs> just separately draw a star and send it to our Instagram. Correct. <laughs> that's also fine. Oh, speaking of Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. we are on Misconduct Pod on Instagram. So please go follow us. Leave us notes. Tell us things that you didn't agree with on the episode, mm-hmm. or something that you strongly agree with on the episode. We're always happy to listen. That's right. Also, um, there's a survey out. It's mm-hmm. also in our description. It's for whether or not you guys would like to purchase our merchandise, which we call merchasing. Yeah, it's a word we invented. Indeed. I'm sure we did not, but here we are. <laughs> um, but yes, if you're interested in merchasing, <laughs> please let us know what you would like. We've given you certain options and what kind of stuff you're thinking about getting. You know. Badges, stickers, mugs, that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, you can leave us little notes there about what you would like on the podcast. Yes, and that's kind of it. Please do this for us. So, if you like any of this stuff, we will try to put it together and merch you out. Yeah, it only works if we have enough interest. So, if we don't have enough interest, we're not buying anything. So, yeah, go and tell us how much money you will spend on us, mm-hmm. and I hope it's a lot. <laughs> uh, and we will see you on the next episode of Misconduct. 